Because I'm gonna tell you something, we can all be guilty. So I've made a point, I've made a point. You know, instead of criticizing people and pointing out people's flaws and faults, if you're gonna criticize some people, present remedies. If you're gonna call somebody out for doing something, then communicate to them clearly what it is they should be doing. It's easy to find fault, but do you have solutions, bro? Because once you begin to present solutions to people that you are saying things to, they have the option. Otherwise, all they hear is somebody complaining and finding fault. But you're not just a fault finder, you're a solution presenter. Now they got the option of whether or not they're going to adhere to the solution. And you know what the solution by presenting a solution to people does? It shows that you have compassion for them. I'm not just coming to you telling you where you messed up. I'm also going to tell you how you can get things right. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. The religious leaders of Israel resisted and fought the ministry of Yeshua and his message of repentance. Yeshua's family was concerned about his mental condition, as was discovered in the previous lesson. Yeshua knew that once he left, the enemy would try to devastate the people of the land of Israel by increasing the demonic presence sevenfold. Therefore, the only hope for the people was for the seeds of the word to be planted throughout the land. In this portion of Matthew, Yeshua reveals secrets of the kingdom to his disciples that had been hidden from the people and the devil. Today's study title is Mysteries of the Kingdom, Sowing Seed. So, let's study. So today, we're going to be looking at, again, the mysteries of the kingdom, and we're going to be talking about sowing seed. The religious leaders of Israel resisted and fought the ministry of Yeshua and his message of repentance. Remember, we opened uh, Matthew up, and John came on the scene preaching repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Something that has always fascinated me, and even more so when I came into the understanding of the commandments, the law, the Torah, is why would John come preaching repentance to the Hebrew people? These are people who had the synagogue services, they had rabbis, they had the teachers, they had the temple, they had Sadducees, they had Pharisees, they had scribes, they had the law. In fact, of all the nations in the earth, the only people that had been given the commands were the children of Israel. So for John to come preaching repentance to these people caused one to ask the question, at least me, what would they have to repent of? They seem to have had the law and they seem to have been keeping the law. We know as we go through Matthew, they go to the temple, they keep the Sabbath, 
They seemingly were teaching the commandments, but further um, study revealed to us they weren't teaching the commandments of Yehovah. They were teaching the traditions of the elders as commandments and making Yehovah's commandments of no effect. So you had two things here. You had the commandments of Yehovah that weren't being taught and the traditions of the elders that were being taught as commandments. Now, to the Christian, at least to me and those around me, we came to the conclusion if John was preaching repentance and then Yeshua is preaching repentance and then he's telling his, his disciples to preach repentance, that he's preaching and telling them they no longer had to keep the law, that he came to fulfill the law that the law was no longer valid, which they now come in their preaching repentance. The Pharisees accused him of violating the Sabbath. At least that's the way we were taught. And him speaking concerning the Sabbath and clean and unclean, that he was doing away with all of that. That's what we heard compared to What we saw and what we saw seems to have been based on what we heard, which caused us to see what we heard to be in the Bible. When the fact is, is that's not what was in the Bible. (laughs) That's what was being taught based on the Bible. And then this goes unnoticed where Yeshua says, Moses gave you the law, but none of you are keeping it. If Moses gave them the law and they weren't keeping the law, then what were they keeping? (laughs) They were keeping the commandments of men that was based on the law. And this is church. This is church today. Church is teaching the traditions of the denominational belief systems that have been handed down from generation to generation to generation to generation as the word of God, while telling the people of God, they don't have to do the commandments of God. So it's ludicrous if you think about it. It's insanity. And yet we bought it hook, line, and sinker. Not only did we buy it, but anyone who come and tell us what was in the Bible We would rebut them because obviously they are the ones who lack knowledge. How can you be talking about a Sabbath? You know, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, in him, you are always in the Sabbath. The Sabbath is every day if you're resting in him because now it's moved from a day of rest to this supernatural rest in Jesus. When in fact, the Bible teach that the Sabbath was a day, not a series of days. And if one would actually use logic according to the scripture, there is a day of rest if we are always in the Sabbath day, then when do you go to work? Are you resting on the job? Or are you working? But I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. Our religion, the things that we were taught in religion, taught us 
to defy the logic of Scripture, to actually reject what was written in order to buy what we were being taught, because that's what we had to do. In order to take what we were being taught, we had to deny what we read. (laughs) We couldn't trust our own eyes to believe what we read in the book. And so Yeshua's family was concerned about his mental condition because remember last week as we were uh, going through the idea of repentance that his family came to him and said they wanted to see him. And Yeshua looked at his disciples and said, you know, who is my mother? Who is my brothers? Those who do the will of my father. And then chapter 12 concluded in chapter 13, as we'll pick up today, we see that it doesn't appear that he ever met with his family who came to see him. And that the reason why they came to see him, we looked at last week, is that they thought he had lost his mind. That here it is, their brother is going around talking about he's God. (laughs) I mean, when you think about it, the religious leaders, the powers that be, say he had a devil. That he was casting out devils by the power of the devil. They were accusing him of being a demonic force misleading and misrepresenting God and therefore leading people away from the God that they were preaching, which was worthy of the death penalty, which ultimately they were able to convince the Romans to carry out. Satan, the prince of the power of the air, had blinded the minds of the religious leaders and dispatched evil spirits that occupied and bound up the people of the land. Repentance and acceptance of the gospel of the kingdom was the only hope for the people then to be set free from the bondage of Satan and the evil spirits that bound them. Yeshua knew that once he left, the enemy would try to devastate the people of the land of Israel by increasing the demonic presence sevenfold, and therefore the only hope for the people were for the seeds of the word to be planted throughout the land. Now think about this. After the resurrection, there was a massive crusade to wipe out the followers of Yeshua. Massive. To drive them completely out of the land. Was that the spirit of the Almighty or was that demonic forces at work? You see, when Yeshua left, when he ascended, the Pharisees, the Sadducees saw the whole religious community embarked on a massive crusade to eliminate the followers of Yeshua. That was probably the worst time in human history. We think that demons and the whole idea of the occult, the works of demonic forces are at work right now. Right now, I would dare say it's like it was before Yeshua came. Because those demons were at work, but they were allowing religious people to do religious stuff. Remember the first time Yeshua went into the synagogue, them spirits start crying out, we know who you are. (laughs) They'd been there all along. Yeshua can show up in a lot of places today and people would probably not recognize him. The enemy has caused people to get these images For the majority of the Christian world, it doesn't matter what country you live in, 
If Jesus walked through the doors of the church, he would be a blonde-haired, blue-eyed European with long hair down to his shoulders. If he didn't look like that, the people wouldn't recognize him. Why? Because those are the pictures, those are the images that have depicted him for centuries. And it's unfortunate that none of us have to question an image. When we see that image, we recognize right away that's an image of Jesus, even though there's about 50 different images. It's like, which one of them is he? (laughs) And it's really something, you know, when I go especially into Africa and I see all these European Jesus pictures on the walls. I don't know if you remember, well, back where I come from, back in Mississippi, there would be the picture of Jesus, Martin Luther King, and Kennedy. I don't know if y'all ever seen those images, but there's Jesus, Martin Luther King, and Kennedy. (laughs) Oh, in some places, Elvis, I just... (laughs) And you would wonder, I grew up in churches, every church that I was a part of had a picture of Jesus in it. And he was always a European. Sometimes he had dark hair. Sometimes he had blonde hair, sometimes sandy brown hair. But he was always European and seemingly always had those blue eyes. So when Yeshua ascended, the enemy, through religion, created this massive crusade to eliminate and make it seem as if Yeshua had never set foot in the land of Israel and just wanted to wipe him out. In this portion of Matthew, Yeshua reveals secrets of the kingdom to his disciples that had been hidden from the people and the devil. The devil's target was Yeshua. The devil put his focus on Yeshua and thought if he could stop or destroy Yeshua, that would be end. Of God's plan. Jehovah's plan manifested through Yeshua was to duplicate or replicate himself through discipleship. That was the plan. If you look at the history, and I, I know some people might have an issue with that word cloning, but I'll, I'll deal with that. But if you look at the history from the time the Almighty made man and he wiped man out and brought forth Noel and his son. And then through that, Abraham comes along. The Tower of Babel had happened. And then Father calls Abraham. He tells Abraham he's going to, you know, raise up him as a nation. He would be the father of many nations. And he talked about his posterity as they would go into Egypt. Father goes and delivers the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And now he has Moses. The first implication or Example of this process was when Jethro told Moses, Moses, you're wearing yourself out. You need to anoint other individuals or you need to assign other individuals. And that's where he told him, you give them authorities over, you know, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and so on and so forth in that manner. So that was the first example where now. Moses had to take what the Almighty gave him and then teach it to those men. The Almighty's plan from day one 
was to establish man and woman who would listen to him, follow his instructions, and then he would be the one who would disciple them, to instruct them, because he told them to be fruitful and multiply. They would have had to understand the Sabbath because on the seventh day he rested and they were already in existence. So that example of the Sabbath was already established. And the day that was supposed to be holy was already established back in the garden. So Mr. and Mrs. Adam would have had an issue with that. When he brings the children of Israel out of Egypt, what does he do? He meets them personally and he begins to communicate with them. And what was he doing? I believe that the Almighty wanted to communicate directly and disciple his people by word of mouth. He spoke to them, he communicated to them, but they made the decision that they didn't want him to talk to them, instead talk to Moses. It was the first image, if you would, where the people who had been called out said, don't talk to us. Well, Moses establishes you know, these individuals and then judges come and then kings come and then prophets come. Well, the prophets were during the time of the kings, but what do we see? We see the Almighty raising up a person, giving them instructions to go and tell the people to repent because they had walked away from the instructions they had been given. The closest we see to any form of discipleship was the school of the prophets where they would teach others who believed to have had the call of prophet on their life. Until Yeshua came, the religious leaders weren't about making disciples as much as they were trying to make proselytes. Their goal and focus was conversion. The fact of the matter is, is that that's the goal of the church today. Conversion. It's not about discipleship. It's about conversion and getting people to come into the building. And this is why some of them go out and get people to come to church. Conversion. Father was not about conversion because a person cannot completely convert to become a kingdom citizen without understanding the gospel of the kingdom. So you've got Baptist Gospels, Pentecostal Gospels, Methodist Gospels, Catholic Gospels. You've got all of these different statements of faiths or belief systems that are established by all of the various denominations on how you can become a good member of that denomination. For the most part, most folks don't have a clue as to what discipleship is all about because they've never been discipled. The closest one would possibly even come to discipleship is a child growing up in their parents' home, watching, learning. And so the father and the mother are the first disciples, or when it comes down to the natural standpoint, but that's what the Almighty established in his word when he says, parents, teach your children these commandments. Children, obey your parents so that your days will be long so that things will go well with you. And so if the parents taught the children and the children became parents and taught the children and their children became parents and taught the children, what would you have? A perpetual discipleship model established by the Almighty. 
that wasn't the case. The religious institutions asserted themselves in the homes of people, and the people became more afraid of the religious leaders than the God they represented. They're more concerned about bishop, more concerned about apostle, more concerned about prophet, pastor, elder, deacon, because these individuals have asserted themselves in the lives of people and they become the authority. And when people need to hear from God, what do they do? Go to them. That was not Father's plan. By the time the devil realized the plan, it was in full bloom or full blown effect. And he was unable. Let me go back to this. Jehovah's plan manifested through Yeshua was to duplicate or replicate himself through discipleship. I call it a kingdom form of cloning. Through discipleship, Yeshua could multiply himself into many and evangelize through multiple people, all saying what he said and doing what he did. Imagine the devil trying to stop that. So you can stop one man. But now, if he's multiplied, if he's reproduced, if he's replicated himself, now you see this process all around the world in business. They just call them franchises. If you're going to be a part of the franchise, you got to make the burger just like this. You cook it this long. Every menu is the same. You go in one McDonald's, it's like you've gone into any McDonald's anywhere in the country until you go outside the country, specifically in China. But that's a whole nother world. <laughs> but when you have the franchise mindset, what you have is business discipleship, a replication on a mass scale. Again, by the time the devil realized the plan, it was in full-blown effect. See, Yeshua comes and he chooses these individuals and he says, now y'all follow me. Watch what I do. Listen to what I say. And then what did he do? He sent them out to do what he did, to say what he told them to say. And here you have the first model being implemented. But see, the people didn't know what was going on. They just saw this guy who came claiming to be such and such and these other people who were foolish enough to follow him. I mean, think about what people said. Think about what Peter and, his, and John and, you know, their family members said. You know, we got a lucrative business here. This business has been in our family for generations. What do you mean you're going to leave and follow that guy? What are we supposed to do? We need you. <laughs> now, you may not see it that way, but imagine their family, their business model being affected because this guy come along and say, hey, y'all, come off that boat and follow me. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. Fish for men? How are we going to eat fishing for men? How is that going to pay the bills? We got employees to think about. Now, when you start looking at it from a human point of view, that's the disciples. His own family is saying, who do he think he is? He's saying things. He's speaking against our religion. 
Why can't you just go to synagogue like the rest of us? Why you got to make people upset and say things that we haven't heard? Who you think you are? You haven't gone to rabbi school. You haven't gone to seminary. You haven't been taught by the rabbis, by the Pharisees or the Sadducees. Who taught you? You understand what I'm saying? It's like, where does this man get this knowledge? And now you're talking about he's getting it directly from God. Ain't nobody got knowledge like that from God before except the prophets. And that was limited. So when you put yourself in the book and you start asking these questions, because see, one way is to bring Yeshua fast forward to our time and then imagine if he did what he did today like he did then. Put him in a Martin suit if you want to, however you want to dress him up. And yet, see, that's not the church model. You see, the church model is, you know, you, you got some folks meeting in your home and you outgrow your home, now you need a bigger space. But the church model, you, you know, one of the first people you want to hire is a musician. Why? Because the musician is, you know, if you don't have a musician in the, in the choir and the, and the praise team, I mean, come on. See? The model of the church was not the model Messiah. But that's become the model based on the word church. Yeshua didn't come to build that. What he came to do was build people. He came, called individuals, follow me, and then he decided when it was all said and done, the works that I do, you shall do. Greater works shall you do. I want you to go to all the nations, and here's what I want you to do. Teach the nations what I taught you. Don't mix what I'm teaching you with the rabbi's teachings. Don't mix what I'm teaching you with the stuff you learned before you met me. Don't mix what I'm teaching with your intellect. Don't try to make it fit in today's models of communications. If you're going to use the technology, don't change the message. You don't change the message. The goal, brothers and sisters, is not to become like your teacher unless your teacher is Messiah. That's the goal. It's not to become like your church unless, of course, your church is modeling Messiah, and I'm yet to find one, honestly. And this is not, this is, you know, I'm not going after anybody, just stating the obvious. So Yeshua's model was discipleship, and then evangelism and reproduction or replication. That's the discipleship model. The gospel of the kingdom is much bigger than trying to get you to keep the Sabbath or celebrate the feast. And that's where many messianics have settled. It is much bigger than finding you a place to fellowship and serve. Because a lot of folks are out there, you know, I need a church. I need, I need to be around other people. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that because that was the Almighty's intent of establishing community. But if you're going to be part of a community that is going to be focused on having church, then what good is that after church is over? And now you got to go back 
out in the world and get through another grueling week. Can't wait to Sabbath. The gospel of the kingdom is about being a worshiper, not just going to what is called a worship service, which is really no worship service at all according to the scripture. You can't have a worship service without bowing. Worship is to bow, to prostrate oneself. People talking about I bow down with their head lifted up. Singing songs of bowing down, singing songs of worship, and ain't no worship going on. And then they say, that's worship. It's like, where'd you get your definition of worship from, the church or the book? And now you got worship leaders want to talk about joining us in a worship service. It's like, really? Who's worshiping up in here? See, show me worship. What you're doing is praising and singing songs. You're making joyful noises. And that's all fine and dandy, but don't call it something the book don't call it. Otherwise, you redefine worship, and you got people who are praising, thinking they're worshiping, when the fact of the matter is that we've been called to be true worshipers. A true worshiper is one who's going to take the word of the Almighty, put that word into practice, become what he has called us to become, and we humble ourselves and bow down before him. And I'm going to tell you something. A true worshiper should be worshiping every day. Every single day, your face should hit the ground or the floor. Not hard, just gently. You should bow before him every single day. Worship him before your day gets started. Focus on him throughout the course of your day. The moment I mention a Muslim, there's Messianics and Hebrews, people that get mad. You're trying to teach people to worship like Muslims. They worship idols. It's not a matter of them. What they worship is the fact is, is that they worship. Whatever they worshiping, they worship because when you see thousands of Muslims in a city all bow down on the ground with their face on the ground, you can say what you want to say about their God, but they put your worship to shame because you got a people who worship idols showing you what worship is and you focusing on what they're worshiping instead of the worship and then become too proud to bow your knee and then want to talk about foot washing. And brother, y'all don't wash feet? Where'd that come from? It's like, that just come up out of somewhere. People make a big issue out of, the Bible says you, you swallow camels. And you're straying at gnats. You're making big issues out of stuff that really ain't no big issue. It's like, why would you wash somebody's feet whose feet ain't dirty? That makes no sense. The reason why they wash feet is because the feet were dirty. You come up in here with some clean feet, talking about some washing your feet, because now you've been told that's what they did during the Last Supper. Okay, then they wear sandals. Then they walk around in sandals on dusty roads. Then they have water pots at the door. 
How many of y'all got water pots at your door to wash people's feet when they come to your house? They don't even have to take their shoes off in some of y'all houses. Okay, Arthur, get back. Get back. The gospel of the kingdom is about making disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. The gospel of the kingdom is about equipping the saints. The gospel of the kingdom is about evangelizing in your everyday life, which is a byproduct of being discipled and equipped. The gospel of the kingdom is about being a witness of what Messiah has done in you and others. And this is where the vision comes from. Because when we recite our vision, is based on the gospel of the kingdom and the process that the Almighty established through Messiah to be a worshiping people, an evangelistic community, a discipleship center, an equipping network, a worldwide witness for Yeshua the Messiah, or you could just have church. The mysteries of the kingdom is revealed to by Yeshua to his disciples in various teachings in this passage and in others. You'll see as we go through Matthew that the Messiah is talking about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven message is the gospel of that kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. We are supposed to be kingdom of heaven citizens and the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is our message. This is what Yeshua was about. John came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeshua, after John was thrown in prison, preached repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He sent out his disciples to preach repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Before he ascended, he sent them to go to the farthermost parts of the world to preach this gospel of the kingdom. What gospel? The gospel that he preached. Paul's message and his disciples, the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. Here's some of the things that Yeshua likened the kingdom to. Matthew 13, 31, we'll get there. The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed. Matthew 13, 33, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. Matthew 13, 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hidden in a field. Matthew 13, 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net. Matthew 13, 47. Matthew 13, 52. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. Matthew 22, 2, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage of his son. Which one of these accurately depict the kingdom of heaven? They all do. Yeshua is preaching about how the kingdom is, and when you go forth in the gospel message, how can you, you know, the Baptist church that I was a part of said the kingdom is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. The gospel message is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. That was the mission in a sense because in every Baptist church, 
Once the preacher got through hooping, what did they do? Invite people to come to give their life to Jesus. That's what they did. Why? Because now they've done the gospel message. They've done the gospel thing. They've preached, and they give the invitation to come and get saved. And they tell you he died. He was buried. They don't even know what day. But they got that down. Right? Oh, but he rose from the grave. See? Okay, week after week after week, we hear that saying, it's like, okay, now we know church is almost over. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Come to Jesus. Now, you need to come to Jesus. <laughs> need to have a come to Jesus meeting with the preachers. So, you know, guys, you know, I know it sounds good. I know that's the stuff you've been taught. I know it's been handed down generation to generation to generation in this denomination. But let's examine that. Where did Yeshua send people out to get people saved? He sent his disciples out to do what? To make disciples of the nation. At what point in history did discipleship become about salvation? How are you going to live saved? You're talking about getting saved, but you got to endure to the end. They that endure to the end shall be saved. This is a journey, brothers and sisters. Now, on this journey, we got to address us. We got to address all the stuff that has been deposited in us over the course of our lives, intentional and unintentional. We've got to deal with the, the lies and the abuses and the hurts and the rejections and the disappointments and all those things that hinder us from living an abundant life. When we begin to look at our lives and say, Am I living life to the full? Well, first, let's define what that is. And now, am I living life to the full in accordance to what Messiah came to establish? And we have to come to the conclusion that most of us don't know what that means. Because you think living life to the fullness is having a lot of stuff, having lots of money having multiple whatevers, cars and houses and, and all the, the latest toys and all the latest technology, and, and that's living life to the full? No, the rich young ruler probably had all of that, but when it came down to the gospel, he had an issue because his stuff kept him from coming. See, your stuff can get in the way. The believer has stuff. Stuff don't have the believer. The believer controls things. Things don't control the believer. We're not bound by things or stuff. You could spend your whole life accumulating stuff. What profits a man to gain all that and lose his soul in the process? See, the things that the Almighty give us 
is for the purpose of accomplish of helping us accomplish the mission of taking the gospel of the kingdom to the world. So what? The world will come to realize who this king of the kingdom is, and then he is going to come and present himself to them through the introduction of his ambassadors to him, just like Moses brought the people of Israel to the foot of the mountain to meet the one who delivered them. But the world and the church has changed the mission and caused us to focus on church stuff instead of kingdom stuff. We got to get back to the mission. So, in this parable, the mystery is sowing seed, and that will equate to evangelism and teaching. Matthew 13, 1. The same day went Yeshua out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now, remember, this is verse 1. In the last verse of chapter 12, his family was outside, outside wanting to see him. There's no indication that he saw his parents, his mom and his brothers. Now he's on the seaside and a multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, Yeshua is going to explain later why he spoke in parables. In verse 4, And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. And the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked them. Other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. If you've never planted a garden, you would have very little, if any, clue as to what he's saying. If you've never prepared ground to plant seed, you would have no clue as to what he's talking about. Dealing with the people in agriculture, which was a great deal of these individuals, because, see, they didn't have food store chains, if people wanted produce, they had to grow it or they had to buy it from people who grew it. They had to go to the marketplace where those who grew it brought their produce to the market and sold it. You see this kind of stuff in other countries. The closest we get to something like that is what we call a farmer's market. But today, many of the farmer's markets buy their stuff from <laughs> warehouses and come and show up at the farmer's market and you can see the boxes they, they, they got their stuff in. It's like, man, I see that box at the supermarket. You sure this came out of your field? A lot of these folks in the farmer's markets, they ain't growing nothing. But that's not the way it was in, in Yeshua's day. Now, if you could go to some places in what they call third world countries and you can see these kinds of things where you got people who brought their stuff and they got it out there and laid it out and you go in and you, you buy it. These people understood what Yeshua was saying. Yeshua concludes the parable with a statement. And here's the key. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. 
who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it's not given. Why was it not given to them? That's my question. They did not have ears to hear. He says, let them who have ears to hear, hear. He's speaking to his disciples. The disciples, what do they do? They come alongside and say, why? Why do you speak to the people like this? Why do you talk to them in parables? Why are you talking to them about repenting and entering into kingdom using language about farming so that they would do what y'all just did. You would come and ask the question, why are you talking to us about farming? And he would have explained, just like he's about to explain to them. See, I'm going to tell you, there's a reason why. When I tell you that when I read the Bible, I read the Bible asking questions. Before I started asking questions about the Bible, I would read and think, man, I don't understand this. You know, I'm reading the King James Bible, which is a little bit more challenging than the NIV that I was introduced to. Looking at different versions, versions of the Bible, trying to understand, looking at the verses in different ways. Some of you heard me tell you when I was lecturing in this seminary, Cavan College, Cavan Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan, I asked the question to those future pastors and leaders. It says, have you ever read a Bible and you come across a word you don't understand? And I would dare say many of us do, but they all said, yeah. And it says, do you stop and look that word up or do you continue reading? Because if you run across a word you don't understand and you don't stop and look the word up and you keep reading, is it possible for you to understand what you just read? Who cares about you reading the Bible in a year? Do you understand what you're reading? Because you can't understand what you're reading if you come across a word you don't understand and you keep reading it like you do understand it. How can you draw a proper conclusion from what you just read? You didn't stop. You didn't inquire. You didn't look it up. And then the proper context it should be in and then move on. Okay, I got that. And then you come across another one. You do the same thing. And then you move on. Okay, I got that. Each time you do that, guess what you're doing? You're getting a better understanding of what that verse is saying. Because see, if, if you don't know the definition of a word, then you are left to apply a definition to the word, which could very well be the wrong definition, and then come away thinking you understand and you don't have a clue. When you read, you should study. Search the word out. So Jehovah spoke to the people directly. And here's why he said, why is it not given to them? It's not that it's not given to them. They don't have ears to hear it. There's been times we don't have ears to hear. This is how arguments ensue. Somebody's trying to say something to you, but you got your mind made up. You're trying to say what you 
believe to them. They're trying to say what they believe to you and neither one of you listening. Because it's possible that you could be wrong. They could be wrong, but you could be wrong too. And by listening and searching things out, you know, the majority of the things that I've learned, I got to tell you, is from people saying stuff to me that I didn't understand. So I go home. I go home in a minute and look stuff up. I sure will. Now I got this smart thing, this smart device, and I can look stuff up on demand. But I utilize the tools that are there in order to try to help me get an understanding because here's what I realize. I can't walk in something I don't understand. I can't apply that. I need to know what does it mean when you say love your wife like Christ loved the church? How does that look? Who's defining that for me? See, the church don't know how it looks for the most part. The pastor don't know how it looks. I see how he treats his wife. Elders and deacons see how they treat their wives. So how are you going to tell me how to love my wife? If I love my wife like you love your wife, then I'll have a similar contentious relationship like you got. Is that what I want? Because if I'm taking advice from somebody about a thing, then I need to see how that's working in their lives. You're going to fix my car and your car ain't running? There's something wrong with that. You know, fix my teeth and, you know, you got a lot of empty spaces in your mouth. There's something wrong with that. It really is. Because I know, you know, this past Thursday I talked about if we really came into the knowledge of Messiah and really began to apply the instructions that he gives us, you'll be delivered from a couple of things real quickly. One, you'll be delivered from vanity. When you really embrace what this word has to say, it's going to cause you to look at yourself a little different. When you understand what it means to be a, a temple, then you're going to be more concerned about what you put in it and what you put on it, right? And I, I say to some of you all, you know, if you got these people who do hair, and they talking about doing your hair, I suggest you find your way in the bedroom at night when they taking all their stuff off. Because if they're doing your hair with the same technique they're doing their hair, then guess what? Your head might end up looking like their head after a while. It's sad for me to see that there are so many women today who are afraid to allow somebody to see their natural head uncovered because they've put so much stuff in their head to where it's destroyed their crop. You know, you got people talking about uh, Monsanto and Roundup in your garden and you want to be, you know, make sure you're eating good and without all those chemicals and yet you got all those chemicals in your head. Hair falling out. Now, I understand, I understand you wanting to look good, but, you know, you, if you're looking good is going to start causing you problems in the long run, you might want to rethink that. Are you willing to sacrifice right now to look good and then later on in life be afraid and ashamed 
of what you have become and how you look. You see, vices. If you really came into the knowledge of the Almighty and you understood the kingdom economics, you know what will happen? You'll be delivered from vanity, which is a lot of money. I see folks that go to the nail. It used to be simple. My mom would go and get a press and curl. She'd go and, you know, they wash her hair and put her under the dryer and maybe, excuse me, a straightening comb. And then they came out with perms. And then the jerry curls, it not only messed up the clothes, but man, it left a big spot on the couch. It's like, you just ruined your couch, bruh. Gotta sit around with a plastic bag on your head. Don't you know that that suffocates? But the stuff people do, <laughs> it defies logic. And so you're spending all this money on your nails. There ain't no cheap nails. That's a, how many hours in your work week did you have to spend to get them nails done like that? You better learn how to do your own nails. I mean, if you got to have nails done, I don't know how we got off on this subject, but we, we, we out here now. I told you I was going out there. Let's see. The amount of energy and money that people spend on vices and vanity that could go toward the advancing of the kingdom, it's insane. It's absolutely insane, folks. And I'm not picking on nobody. I'm trying to think about how I'm going to respond. I done had a couple of people from over the shores. They see my video on YouTube, and they decide that they're going to comment, telling me, how can I be a Torah teacher? Don't you know the Torah teaches that you should not cut the corners of your beard? You shouldn't shave your head? And it's like, why you make an assumption that I shave my head? You shouldn't be bearing false witness. You're going to reach across the ocean to tell me I shouldn't be. I, a razor hadn't touched my head in almost 30 years. But their visuals, they think that, you know, I'm like a lot of these other guys who just go around shaving heads because bald heads look good for people today. I don't do that. But it doesn't stop people from making accusations. You know, when it comes down to putting our best foot forward, there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to make sure that in the process of doing it, we're not damaging ourselves in the process. Are you with me? Jehovah spoke through Moses and the prophet. So here's the thing. They didn't have ears to hear. Do you know that the children of Israel at the foot of the mountain didn't have ears to hear? It didn't stop Father from speaking to them. He spoke to them, but they didn't have ears to hear. They said, we don't want you talking to us. Talk to Moses. Jehovah spoke through Moses and the prophets, but the people as a whole didn't listen. Yeshua spoke publicly and the people did not hear him. Here's what he said to a Pharisee named Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 11 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. I mean, we're talking to you, but you're not accepting what we're saying. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? 
You're trying to have a conversation with him. You know, Yeshua's talking to him, saying, I'm trying to tell you some stuff, but you don't have ears to hear, and yet you want to inquire of more things? Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. I had to stop getting into a whole lot of these intellectual conversations with people because people got intellect without application. You're going to tell me about Torah. The first thing I'm going to do is, where's your CC, said, bro? Where's your CCs? You wear CCs? Well, nah, I don't have to do well. Well, how can you talk to me about Torah? You're saying to me that you are going to tell me about it, but you're not a doer of what you're saying. See, when you're in a conversation with a person who is not a doer of what they are saying, then why are you in a conversation with that person? It's intellect. You're just playing intellectual ping pong. I will not spend a whole bunch of time with people who want to tell me about the Torah when they're not even applying the Torah in their own personal life. What can you tell me? You got a bunch of head knowledge, so you're a puffy, big-headed person. And here you want to debate. I don't have time to debate with you. Why am I putting energy in having a conversation with you in the first place? You are a hearer and not a doer. And the Bible says, you are deceived. We're spending time talking to deceived people. And you try to talk to them and they know everything. Why? Because they ain't got ears to hear. You better recognize. And so why would I go into something that is spiritual when you don't even receive the natural stuff that I'm trying to tell you? At this point, you should begin to speak to the people in parables for those who had ears to hear. Teaching in parables was specifically and particularly effective and easy to remember because Yeshua used comparisons the people of his day would be familiar with. Although parables clarified Yeshua's teaching, they also included hidden meanings that needed further explanation. These hidden meanings challenged the sincerely interested to further inquire and taught truths that Yeshua's enemies could not, could find no direct statements to use against him. Because remember now, they were on a crusade to try to trap him. And so he would speak to them, and if they really wanted to know, they would inquire further. Like he come and talk about, show us a sign, show us a sign. Look, man, I don't, you ain't believe none of the signs I've shown so far, so why would I show you another one? You're not interested in a sign. You're just trying to prove something. This is why I don't deal with dares. Because, see, you know, when somebody dare you and you feel like you got to prove it, you know what they just did? They just brought you under their spell. You set out on a mission to prove something to them. Why are you trying to prove something to them? Who are they that you feel you got to prove something to? I dab a dog, I double dog dare you, whatever that, you know, like, you can dare me all you want. If my word is not good enough for you, then so be it. Whoever have ears to hear will hear, and more will be given them. Matthew 13, 12. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore I speak to them in parable, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. And this is what Isaiah said. Then said I, Isaiah 6, 5, 
Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. Now you have to understand something. Isaiah recognized in the year King Isaiah died, he saw Jehovah. And the first thing he realized in his religious community that he was just like the other people, that he was unclean. And he dwelt among the people who were unclean. And then the Almighty cleans him up. And then in verse 8, it says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And if you look at verses 6 and 7, you'll see where he took a tongue and a coal and put it on and cleaned him. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear you indeed, but understand not, and see you indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Now, some would read, see, God hardened them. No, he didn't. Isaiah have already identified that he's among a hard-hearted people. These were the people who had the commandments. These were the people who had the Torah. He says, I'm an unclean. How can you have the Torah and you be a man of unclean lips and dwell among a people of uncleanness? The Torah tells you what uncleanness is. But he had a hard-hearted, stiff-necked people, and he said, I want you to preach to them, but basically they ain't going to hear what you got to say. Just like he sent the prophets. He sent the prophets to tell the people what they needed to do to repent, and what did they do? They killed them. Why? Because they were hard-hearted and stiff-necked and they weren't interested in hearing what the Almighty had to say because they were too busy living out their religion their way. That's the way the people live today. And we have to deal with that within ourselves because I'm going to tell you something, we can all be guilty. So I've made a point, I've made a point, you know, instead of criticizing people and pointing out people's flaws and faults, if you're going to criticize some people, present remedies. If you're going to call somebody out for doing something, then communicate to them clearly what it is they should be doing. It's easy to find fault, but do you have solutions, bro? Because once you begin to present solutions to people that you are saying things to, they have the option. Otherwise, all they hear is somebody complaining and finding fault. But you're not just a fault finder, you're a solution presenter. Now they got the option of whether or not they're going to adhere to the solution. And you know what the solution by presenting a solution to people does? It shows that you have compassion for them. I'm not just coming to you telling you where you messed up. I'm also going to tell you how you can get things right. See. Yeshua interprets Isaiah's prophecy. Here's what he said. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their eyes are dull of hearing, or their ears, and they have closed their eyes. It's like this. The prophet is talking. Ah! You ever seen children do that? What are they saying? I'm not interested in hearing what you got to say. That's what people do in the spirit. You're telling them stuff and it's like, and you can see it in their eyes. You know they ain't listening to you. So they close their eyes, lest at any time they should see with their eyes. How? Open their eyes. 
and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I shall heal them. How? See, if you are open to listening, you may hear something that is going to help you. And once you take that and apply it in your life, guess what? You start walking out your deliverance. You start walking out your salvation. For most, it's all a matter of repenting from not doing the commandments and turning to the commandments and doing the commandments with a sincerity of heart. That's for the most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard it all before. Blah, blah, blah. This was the people's attitude toward what Yeshua was saying. Therefore, he began to weed the people out with parables to identify those who were interested in learning the truth. So you can talk to people and they don't hear what you are saying because they already believe what they believe. I was in a conversation with a brother and I told him because the last time I talked to him, I tested him. But I knew what I was working with anyway. And so I tested him. And sure enough, he failed it. I'm talking to him here several weeks later, and we're having some conversation. And I said to him, you know, the last time we talked, I tested you. You know, he never asked me what the test was. You know what they said to me? He didn't care. And I said, okay. This conversation is going to be a sh one of our shortest conversations. He didn't even ask me, what was the test? You tested me. How did I do? None of that. Okay. See, one of my pastors told me some time ago that test the Almighty give us oftentimes is not with paper and ink. Father tests us all the time. To do what? Show us what's in our hearts. Do you know many people aren't interested in knowing? I had to come to conclusion that when I was struggling with addiction, the reason why I kept relapsing is because each time I got close to being sober, my mind came back. When my mind came back, I remembered stupid stuff I'd done, harm I'd caused, and it was hurtful, and it caused me pain, and I didn't want to feel that pain no more, so what do I do? Numb it. You see, the biggest challenge for me to overcome addiction was to actually feel, feel the hurt that I've caused, feel the pain that I've caused. It's easy to feel the hurt and pain other people have caused you, but what about the pain and hurt you've caused other people? What have you done about that? Most people complain about what people have done to them and feel justified by what they've done. And by being or feeling justified by what they've done, they don't have to examine the pain and the hurt that they've caused other people. They can keep focusing on the hurt and pain other people have caused them and stay in their insanity. See, to come out of the insanity, you got to confront your mind. You got to confront this. You got to deal with this. 
Why do you act that way? Why do you respond that way? Why do you say the things that you say? Why are you always, you know, in defense mode? Why are you always trying to justify your behavior? What's in you that's causing that? Insecurities, fears, other issues. And you know that when you start addressing that, guess what? You start getting freer and freer and freer. And stuff people say and do to you don't hurt like it used to hurt because you ain't holding on to that. You didn't let that go. That's not stirring up those old feelings because once you address the issue, the feelings that is associated with it gets addressed and cast out. Now you're casting demons out yourself because that's really how you're responding like a demon. Let's just call it what it is. You got spirits. And those spirits manifest in behavior patterns. And if you look at your behavior patterns and adjust and really address your behavior patterns, you'll recognize the demons you're hanging out with it or that's hanging out with you. And then you start casting them babies off. Nope, get behind me. Nope, get behind me. Nope, get away from me. Nope, don't live there no more. Nope, we ain't going down that road again. Nope, nope, nope. And next thing you know, you're getting... Your heart is getting guarded. You're getting healthy. You stop hanging out with unhealthy people. Your eyes are open. You start seeing clear. And then you become something that people know they can't take advantage of. People will not respect you if you don't respect yourself. You got to learn self-respect. You're not somebody's doormat or toilets. I'm going to say this to my sister friends. If you letting people spew sperm in you and they ain't your husband or wife, all you is is a sperm bag toilet. Just put it out there. You're a recipient of sperm. Don't let people use your body as a disposal. Don't do that. Men, same for you. <laughs> you have to respect yourself. It's not just the woman that is supposed to be virtuous. The men are supposed to be valor. You're supposed to be one who is of valor, one who has self-respect, one who respects a woman, not disrespect her. And if you're hanging around a woman who will allow you to disrespect her, guess what? You got the wrong woman to begin with. You really do. If you don't respect yourself, what makes you think somebody else is going to respect you? Yeshua says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Verse 17, for verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sword. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, you see what has happened? They heard, but they didn't understand. Then cometh the wicked one and catch away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. He is a person who's hearing it, but they don't get it. They ain't understanding, and they ain't even asking questions for understanding or clarification. 
They do not understand what they've heard and do not ask for clarification or seek understanding. Here's what the proverb states. Hear you children the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake you not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and beloved, only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth, forsake or not. And she shall preserve thee, love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Verse 20, Matthew 13. But he that receiveth the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he no root in himself, but doeth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he's offended. Here's what David wrote in the Psalms. Psalm 92, 12. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow it like a cedar in Lebanon. Who? The righteous. Those that be planted in the house of Jehovah shall flourish in the courts of our Elohim. Those who are planted can't be running all over the place. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that Jehovah is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Matthew 13, 22. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. This is what happened to the rich young ruler. When he came to Yeshua and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Yeshua says, and behold, one came and said, or Matthew says, and behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? Yeshua connects eternal life with what? The commandment. And he said unto him first, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Why would he do that? Because see, Yeshua, if this man doesn't recognize Yeshua as God, he's calling him good. What is he calling the Pharisees? Good master? He's saying, look, there's only one good. Why are you calling me good? You don't know me. You've seen some things, but why are you calling me good? And now you come and talk about inheriting eternal life. And here's what he says. There is none good but one, that is Elohim, but if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said unto him, which Yeshua said, thou shalt not commit adult, uh, murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and thou shalt love thyself as thy neighbor as thyself. The young man said unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What, what lack I? Notice he didn't say anything about coveting. Yeshua said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. So what has he got? He's got treasures in earth. And now he could have treasures in earth, in heaven. What's keeping him from the treasures in heaven? His treasures in earth. He said, sell it all and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. What did he do? He denied eternal life. What was his question? Eternal life. He was spending his life pursuing stuff. Riches, wealth. You want to know how to have eternal life? Are you serious about eternal life? Then let me give you the remedy on how you can obtain what you're asking for. And you know what it boiled down to? What he had to him was greater than what he sought. It's amazing how people would put stuff in front of their own salvation, their own eternity, eternal life. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
Then said Yeshua unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 13, 23. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth. How? He got understanding. Which also beareth fruit. This is how you know. See, when John came to those individuals and he saw the religious leaders, he says, who warned you all? Who warned you to flee from the coming destruction? And then he said these words, bring ye meat worthy of repentance. You know what meat worthy of repentance is from John's perspective to those religious leaders? It would have been receiving Yeshua, the one who has been sent by the Almighty, and then demonstrating that you've received him by the lifestyle you live afterwards. That would be the fruit. That would be the fruit. You can't tell me you received Yeshua and then be out to try to destroy him. You can't stand with the same group of people who are trying to persecute him. That means you're going to have to set yourself apart from them. And guess what? You identify with Yeshua, and so the very people who are going to persecute Yeshua, because you remember when they turned on and said, are you one of his disciples too? <laughs> I'm almost there. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. And here's the divine strategy. The devil thought if he eliminated Yeshua, the gospel of the kingdom would go away. What the devil did not know was the mystery of Elohim in Yeshua, and that was the mystery, I would say, of replication. Yeshua's model was a model of replication or duplication. By duplication or replication, Yeshua multiplied himself or cloned himself through the discipleship process by taking everything in him and putting it into others who would then put it into others, which was the Great Commission. Yeshua knew the day would come when he would give his life and his earthly ministry would be over. But that would not be the end of his earthly ministry. All of Yeshua's disciples, apostles, and those who heard him publicly speak are all dead. Yet Yeshua's ministry continues. So I know the day will come when I will be dead, just like all those before me. And this is not about me. It shouldn't be about any preacher out there. It's not about you and your personality and how big your church is or, or how many folks attend services or how large you are. It's not about none of that. I mean, if you got a large ministry where you could reach more people, I was watching the news and I'll just put names out there because I'm watching how the world around us, they were interviewing. I don't watch sports. You know, every now and then I may watch some basketball, but that's when I'm totally bored. I mean, I, and I'm rarely bored like that, see. But they were interviewing this uh, LeBron James, and they asked LeBron about vaccination. And he skirted the question because he was talking about, you know, his family and this and that and his team. And they asked him, does that mean that you've been vaccinated? And he didn't answer the question. The person who was telling the news story said, well, typically when a person don't answer the question, that means no. And then they said these words, that a person of LeBron's statue, a person with his reputation 
and his platform should be using his platform to advance the vaccination cause. It's like, really? This is what they're saying. It's like, I'm hearing these people say, listen, the vaccination is safe. How do you know? Because you've been vaccinated, that means it's safe, you didn't die? How can you vouch for it? Do you know the long-term effects of it? You have no idea what the long-term effects is because it ain't been in existence for a certain amount of time. What about five years from now, 10 years from now? Do you know how it's going to affect your reproduction system? How is it going to affect your blood? How is it going to affect your DNA? How is it going to affect your brain? How is it going to affect all these particular aspects? Do you know what's in it? So who are you to get on national TV and try to tell me something is safe when you can't even vouch for the fact that it is safe in the long term because some scientists, because some scientists said it's safe? Do you know that science has never created nothing? Science ain't created nothing. The only one who's created anything is the Almighty himself. So should I listen to a bunch of scientists, especially those who deny the creator? But that's not my platform. I'm just saying, if you are a minister and you have a large platform, don't let the devil hijack your platform. If you've got a large platform and you're advocating the kingdom gospel and you're preaching the truth of the word, then that's how you should be using it. But whether you got a large platform or a small platform or no platform at all, you got a voice. You come in contact with people. You are an ambassador. You represent the most high. You and I were part of Jehovah's divine strategy. See, that's the thing that blows me away is that I was a part of his strategy long before I was ever conceived. Here I am doing. This is also a mystery of the kingdom. That today he is using us like he did in the day that Yeshua walked the earth and he called those men and those women who followed him and commissioned them and then they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and went forth proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom everywhere they went. So, conclusion, so seize y'all. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.